This is Transit Unplugged. I'm your host, Paul Comfort. Great to be with you for another edition of the world's leading transit executive podcast, Transit Unplugged. Today, news and views. We've got an amazing program for you today. I think you'll really enjoy it. We've got John Sieber, the executive director of the Central Indiana Regional Transportation Authority, who's our newsmaker guest. Uh, We've got some great headline news just now, and then wait to the end of the podcast for a great interview with Scott Bergren, Executive Director of the Community Transportation Association of America, and Mr. Vax Transit himself, Stuart Mater. We're gonna be talking about a new study that CTAA came out with just last week, and six recommendations for where public transportation should go in the future based on the lessons we learned during COVID. I think you'll find it a fascinating interview Speaking of CTAA, this week is their in-person Sun Conference, Small Urban Network Conference, that I'm at right now as you're listening to this in Montana, and going to be getting some great interviews with some transit executives there and association executives for upcoming episodes of Transit Unplugged. And now for a look at headline news. Here in the United States, the Senate over the weekend put the finishing touches on its bipartisan infrastructure bill. And on earlier this week on Monday, Democrats released their $3.5 trillion budget plan that sets the stage for a massive massive investment in transportation, social programs, and climate policy. The plan fits into what Democrats consider a complementary two-part agenda to boost the economy, strengthen the social safety net, and attempt to curb climate change. The party will have to carry out a complicated legislative dance to get both proposals through Congress in the coming months. First, the Senate could pass the $1 trillion bipartisan infrastructure bill this week. They may have already passed it by the time you're listening to it. The plan calls for $550 billion in new spending on transportation, utilities, and broadband, and is expected to get broad support in the Senate. Over the weekend, the Senate voted uh, a procedural uh, move to go forward on the bill 68 to 29. So you can see there's two-thirds majority support. They only need 60 votes to break uh, for cloture and to break any attempted uh, filibusters. And then Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer says the Senate will then immediately move toward passing their budget resolution, which they're going to try to do evidently using uh, special rules that won't require any Republican votes because they may not get any on that. So a lot happening right there. Uh, Speaking of Washington, D.C., the Federal Transit Administration has awarded a cooperative agreement totaling $5 million to the International Transportation Learning Center to support the first transit workforce center based in Silver Spring, The ITLC will serve as FDA's first ever National Technical Assistance Center to help transit agencies recruit, hire, train, and retain a diverse workforce needed now and in the future. And of course, we're hearing that uh, all over the place, that transit agencies are really having trouble uh, recruiting drivers and skilled technicians for their shops and other positions. And so the FDA has established this to conduct workforce development, technical assistance activities for transit agencies with a strong focus on frontline transit worker skill development. This could be a game changer for transit agencies. They're also gonna help transit agencies develop their own workforce development programs. And so this could be very helpful. Jumping across uh, this overseas now, in the nation of France, you may have heard there's been a number of big protests over the last three weekends. One of the reasons for that is that um, France is taking a very strong stance on vaccinations. Uh, This last week, it announced that all people, both travelers and residents, will need to present a, quote, health pass in order to eat out of restaurants, get this, use public transportation, or enter public venues and travel throughout the country. The health pass is proof of vaccination, either in digital or paper form, 
The law is set to go into effect on September 15th for all adults. And starting September 30th, it'll apply to everyone 12 and older. And as of now, the legislation is written for those who have been vaccinated in France. They're looking uh, for further instructions coming in terms of how the country will handle vaccinations administered in other countries. Very interesting to see that pass, very similar to what's happening in New York City, uh, although this one in France applies to public transit. And now also uh, on the other side of the Atlantic, in Moscow, Russia, the Moscow Metro plans to implement contactless fare payment using facial recognition technology at all metro stations by the end of the year. Uh, to use the face pay system, passengers must have a Russian bank account that has their biometric data on file. And after passengers approach one of the cameras installed at the turnstiles or ticket booths, the fare will automatically be debited from their account and the turnstiles will open. Interesting. And one last bit of news. Uh, from the Visa credit card company, they've released the results of their Future of Urban Mobility Survey, which shows that riders are expecting contactless payment options, and the younger generation is back again preferring public transit. The company surveyed 9,000 adults in nine countries, and they found that 84% of public transit riders who have decreased their ridership since the start of COVID-19 pandemic plan to use public transit at the same rate as they did before the pandemic. Uh, so, that's good news. A survey found that 88% of global respondents also expect a contactless payment option moving forward. 90% of U.S.-based respondents said they expect it to happen. And um, Visa uh, also s- partnered with the International Association of Public Transit, UITP, to create their own urban mobility payment payments platform. And uh, so they're looking for more and more people to go contactless. They, the survey data showed that 88% of riders expect their local transit system to offer a contactless option for payments and ticketing. And you'll recall that last year uh, when the American Public Transportation Association did a survey, they found that that was one of the great new trends that public transit agencies around the country were moving toward was contactless payment. And also uh, 35% of Generation Z respondents noted public transportation is their main method of transportation. Well, that's it for the headline news stories for this week's Transit Unplugged. Now stay tuned for our great interviews uh, that are coming up on today's episode of Transit Unplugged. Enjoy. This is Transit Unplugged. I'm your host, Paul Comfort. Great to bring you a wonderful newsmaker interview with a longtime friend of mine, John Sieber. John's executive director at the Central Indiana Regional Transportation Authority near Indianapolis, Indiana. John, thanks so much for joining us today on the world's number one transit executive podcast. I'm glad to be here, Paul. It's great seeing you, buddy. Yeah, you too. And it's been a little bit of a while. John uh, John and I have known each other for quite a while. How long back did we go, do you think, John? Well, probably around 2008, I'm guessing, somewhere in that range. Yep. So we worked together at WMATA. We both were with MV. Uh, the paratransit service there. And then John was, uh, so tell us a little about your background, just briefly, John, you've got quite an interesting background. I love the fact that you started in maintenance and you've made it up to be the executive director of a transit agency. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, and you know, and it is interesting. I've been in in transit some way, shape or form for now 33 years. And, uh, you know, I started out early on in my career as a line technician uh, for Ford and General Motors. And then I went into over the road coaches moved up to supervision and then uh, kind of bumped up from there. So I've been in both the uh, public and private sector as a uh, director 
had a great uh, uh, run with MV as both a, a director and a vice president of maintenance. Uh, really enjoyed what I've learned there. And, you know, being out within all the states, and I think I had about 100 locations uh, throughout my career, just nationwide, and working with a lot of good people in the transit industry. You know, you learn a lot. Uh, you expand uh, services and, you know, uh, just able to identify challenges a little easier as you start working through these things and, and getting things out there. So I'm excited to uh, be back home in Indiana and, and working within the region to bring some of the experiences I have, you know, back here to kind of help uh, uh, the counties out and further expand and develop services as well. That's awesome. One of the things that I always uh, thought was wild about you was how did you, like when we were in Washington, you would fly in. I mean, you you lived in Indiana. But you would fly, like, what would you do? You'd come out for a couple of weeks, then go back for a few days, that kind of a thing? Yeah, I'd do uh, two to three weeks and then home for three to four days and then back. And, uh, you know, throughout my career, there's been, you know, times I've been like in New York. And if you got a new project and different things, there was times I was on the ground for up to four months straight without being home. And I did travel for 20 years. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's great. Like I said, when you're working with good people and you know, you're going to a location and, and it kind of makes it easier, but, uh, uh, you know, uh, home life isn't as, as, uh, as fun because you miss out on a lot of things. So people, you know, they're always used to tell me, Oh, you get to travel, you get to see places. And it's like, I get to see hotels and, and, uh, <laughs> the transit authorities, you know, yeah. that that's my life. So, yeah. Well, speaking of family, you just had a big event. Your daughter graduated with her master's. That's awesome. Yeah, my youngest, uh, uh, she graduated uh, two weekends ago with her master's degree. We're very proud of her. Hey, so tell us about the transition now. You, How long have you been here at the Central Indiana Transportation Authority? How long has that been? About a year? No, well, close. Yeah, I started last September, so I guess okay. we are we are yeah, almost closer. about a year. Yeah. What made you make the transition from, you know, th- over 30 years really as a maintenance, started out as a technician, worked way up into management and then into senior management. Uh, what did, Was it just the opportunity to work from home now? or? Well, you know, I think it was a couple of things. And, you know, even with uh, with my days on the road with MV on the more of the maintenance side, I mean, you're doing, you know, I did a lot of complete, I think 55 project startups where I, where I led those projects. And it was more than maintenance. I mean, I always sure. was involved in operations and assisting and helping and between writing policies and, you know, between dispatch and maintenance and, and trying to make sure things were paired together. Uh, I think, you know, working with some good people out there yourself, uh, I, you know, I can name several, uh, you know, just learning some skills and, and some positives. And uh, I think I was able to go a little bit beyond maintenance and help some of these locations out. There was times I did sit in kind of a, in a in more of a GM role and helping out trying to, to carry some things through. So I think that that resonated over into what I'm currently doing. And when I when I interviewed here, it was about three different interviews uh, with the board, uh, and I think there were 78 candidates. Wow. So we went through all that, and and they chose me. Uh, so again, I'm very, very proud of that effort, and uh, and we're we're continuing to pro- progress here, and the board's very happy. So yeah, the, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show is not just because you're one of the good guys and one of the best guys I know in the business, but also I think the agency you head is very unique, and in times like now, uh, coming out of COVID, hopefully, um, people are looking at different models 
and how they can how they run their transit services. It really has been a Simon Sinek why moment. You know, why are we doing? And then once right. you figure out why, then you can figure out what it is. So tell us what it is you all do there, because it's very unique, I think. Yeah, it is. And, you know, for a transit authority, uh, you know, the the name, I guess, is kind of misleading to a degree. But, uh, you know, we were developed around 2004 as kind of a, a go between between 10 different counties and helping to pair services and go beyond that county border, if you will. So there's a lot of things we do, a lot of programs we have, uh, you know, in place. We do a lot of ride share work with our outreach team. So a lot of this is, uh, you know, we have a database where we sign people up, we coordinate uh, uh, carpooling events, bike share events where we're, we're coordinating people and routes, trying to get them to work uh, and van pools as well, which is a which is a huge event. We just signed up uh, this month, starting in August, 18 new van pools, which we're very excited about. And again, those are those are getting people across multiple counties uh, and again, we're, we're reducing that carbon footprint. Uh, you know, we're improving efficiencies, uh, and of you course, reducing costs. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so, so those are those are some big things. We do workforce connectors, which is where our service, where we bid out and contract out services, where where a, a, a transit authority's service will end. We continue from that that endpoint, if you will, going into another county to bring okay. people across county into uh, like big box warehouse districts and things for employment. Uh, and, and that is continuing to thrive and grow. We actually have five new routes in development right now that we've been working on. Uh, so that's an exciting time for us. Uh, another big one we do is we partner with uh, SACOA, which is the uh, Central Indiana Council on Aging. And they've been around since 74, but we partner funding and uh, uh, some management services. but. Uh, basically what it is it's almost like a paratransit if you're if you're ada certified you automatically can ride the service and of course we've got our own kind of certification uh, but this allows you to go beyond one county you can go up to like three different counties and uh, uh, even with covid last year we had almost eight thousand trips with that just but and again we're, we're using current people uh, current providers in the region, we just signed them up and then coordinate and schedule with them. So it works out real good. We're utilizing these vehicles uh, as much as possible. So we're reducing deadhead, we're, we're reducing wasted time, vehicles being down, those kind of things, and, and really utilizing the fleets as much as possible. I love the fact that you are doing a regional approach. So many transit agencies um, really just serve their city or their county but you've got this multiple county or 10 counties in central Indiana that you're overseeing. Yeah, it's great. You know, my, my board, I couldn't be happier with. We have 16 board members and we have two governor appointees, a couple mayor appointees and various uh, different county appointees. But uh, uh, everybody from every county is represented fairly in that. Uh, we have breakout sessions, a variety of different things. It's very informative and I, I couldn't ask for a better board. I'm, I'm very happy with them. Uh, so what's in the vision for the future of your agency and the services you're providing? You know what, right now we just started a study where we're meeting with all the providers and, and it's it's a technology directive, uh, which is huge right now, as you know, but everybody's using some standalone systems for scheduling, dispatch, fare collection, uh, mobile app or lack of. And so what we're doing is we're, we're we're meeting with all the groups, trying to figure out what's working, what's not working, what would make things better. 
what the ultimate goal of this is by the end of November, early December, is putting a kind of a package together of here's some directives of how we need to move forward uh, in more of a, and I don't want to use the word, I guess, centralized dispatch because well, I don't see it. I, yeah, yeah but, it, but it's more coordinated. Yeah. Right. And so what I see is overlap between counties. If we can, if we can get people on the same systems to have seamless travel between the, the counties, but you have a system map where you can see if someone's got to barely trickle into your county with, with a vehicle instead of deadheading back. If you've got someone that needs to go to that county, hey, I can tag into that vehicle, utilize that. So again, uh, you know, reduction in wasted deadhead. Yeah. utilization of vehicle efficiency and ultimately improves the customer experience because you're not, you know, people aren't waiting longer. And then if we can tie that into a mobile app, fair pay structure, everything. So it's a little easier to do. So that that's one of our ultimate goals, something we're working on. And if, and if it goes as planned, we can hopefully maybe see a, an RFP rollout in 22 with maybe an implement implementation uh, countywide in 23. Anything else you want to say before we wrap it up, John? Yeah, Paul, I, you know, I wanted to bring this up because it, it was a special moment for me. Uh, you know, back around 2009, I think we were wrapping up one of our WMATA meetings and you had brought in a, a flyer you had from college. And I'll never forget, it was like a black and white uh, flyer. And it was a picture of you. Uh, you were running for city council. And I remember the caption, it says, I will work for you. And, it, to, and, it, and to this day, that still settles with me in a, in a great way. And I think everybody in transit should have that same perspective, per se, because we're all here to help that person get where they need to be. Um, you know, and, and, and it's not about sometimes the, the small little things that I that I, you know, been around a block that people are worrying about. It's about getting the people from A to B. We're here for the people. We're not here for ourselves. We're not here for some other things. It's to help the people. And, and it's really true. So if anybody takes anything away from this podcast today, I hope they remember the I will work for you because that's what we're all here for. You know, and, and, and even like our mission statement, uh, you know, we continue to focus on connecting to people, to places and opportunities. And that's what we should all be doing. So I thank you for that, that Paul, for sharing that back in 09. And like I said, that re that's really resonated with me. Thank you, John. A great trip down memory lane and a great example of how I think Somebody can come from any part of the transportation industry and make it to the top, whether it's a driver, whether it's somebody in operations or safety, and now somebody from maintenance working their way to the top of the organization. Thanks so much, John, for sharing your heart with us and also the continuing to do the great work you're doing in central Indiana. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for having me today. Good seeing you. This is Transit Unplugged, and now we're in the future of public transportation segment. Excited to have with us uh, Scott Bogren, who is executive director of the Community Transportation Association of America, who is hosting their big small urban network conference this week, and Stuart Mater, Mr. Vax Transit. Great to have you both with us. Thanks. Hey, Paul. So, Scott, um, you all, CTAA, Community Transportation Association of America, which represents most of America's medium-sized small urban systems across America, you all have just come out with a big study. Uh, set it up for me. Tell me a little about it. Sure. Well, you know, um, I would say about two to three months ago, I started getting concerned that the entire narrative around the COVID-19 and public transit was only about how much money had been invested in transit. And not to say that I know hearing from our members all across the country, 
they were grateful and those funds were, were desperately needed. But the narrative was only on that kind of piece of it. And nobody was talking enough, to, to my thinking at least, about all that transit was doing to help the country get through the pandemic. And like many uh, of, of your listeners, I had been uh, through social media and others watching what Stuart was putting together, Stuart Mater, on VAX transportation. And, you know, sometimes you just you, you think to yourself, well, why reinvent the wheel? Let's talk to Stuart, see if we can contract with him and put together a document that with our membership really shows all of what has been done from, with, from the public transit perspective to assist residents, neighbors, their communities in getting through the pandemic. And, you know, we, we, Stuart and I talked and we wanted to focus it on access to vaccination. But then as he started talking to members, there were other key issues that started to raise up along the lines of uh, uh, obviously providing access to healthy foods, uh, providing access to prescriptions, a lot of these other services that smaller transit systems around the country immediately engaged in on the onset of the pandemic. And, and you know, what we were hoping for is what we got, which was a, a story to tell that says, yes, funds were invested in public transit throughout the pandemic and, and they were important. But here is what the American people got and are getting for that investment. And, and in addition to that, Stuart, who really knows our business well, had a lot of good connections, he started to work on recommendations because that was kind of the, the second piece of the document was like, well, here's what we did, but what have we learned? And what, what about what we've learned at the public transit space is gonna really shape transit's future. And I thought Stuart did a great job with that. And I'll kind of toss to Stuart because I know his discussions and interviews really are the heart of what he wrote for CTAA in this report. Stuart, talk, talk to us Thanks. a little bit about what you found. And particularly, I want to make sure we have time uh, to cover what the six recommendations are, because I think they are very strong. Absolutely. And I, and I just want to start and say thanks, Scott and CTAA, for, uh, for working together on this and, and letting me go out and do something really, really fun and in, in many ways really reaffirming for our industry. And that's talk to, I talked to 15 transit providers across the country, a mix of providers, uh, large and small urban, rural, tribal transit providers. And the one thread, common thread that I saw throughout the conversations, throughout writing this, uh, this white paper is um, in the midst of a crisis with incredible headwinds uh, facing them, transit agencies did amazing things with the, the COVID-19 relief funds, with the emergency funds, to serve their communities, to recommit to their communities and get their communities through the crisis and to tackle uh, things like vaccine access, prescription access, food insecurity um, and, and, and healthcare access and do those things in ways that I think tell us that if we continue to invest in transit in a healthy way and we do it in a way that gives agencies even greater ability to plan ahead in their budgets, they're gonna continue to do great things. Um, and just to give you a couple quick examples, uh, one of the one of my favorite examples uh, in all the conversations was when I talked to Kirk Kuchera at uh, Southern Minnesota Area Rural Transit or Smart Transit. Um, he told me about the work they did uh, in the community with Hormel Foods. So in Austin, Minnesota, uh, in downtown Austin, there's the Span Museum, which uh, 
Hormel Foods runs that, and it's a it's a tourist attraction. And they unfortunately had to shut down because of the pandemic. Uh, but what they did is Hormel uh, paid a number of businesses uh, to food food prep businesses, restaurants, delis, and so forth to prepare meals, uh, hundreds of meals a day, uh, to keep those businesses in operation during the pandemic to help the community. And then what those businesses did is they prepared meals, they dropped them off at the Stan Museum. And then uh, SMART uh, brought their buses to the Spam Museum. Volunteers uh, loaded them up. They worked with the United Way. uh, And volunteers loaded up those SMART buses. uh, And then they went out in the community and they delivered meals. It's a wonderful example of, it's a public-private partnership. It's a wonderful example of transit uh, turning on a dime and repurposing their vehicles to make sure that people were fed during the pandemic. Uh, And it was a wonderful way to keep the transit system moving, keep the frontline workers employed and and, and moving. Um, And there are examples like that from across the country. Um, Where do you think we head now, Stuart? I mean, we've we've covered that, as you know, Scott and I and others have covered that extensively. And I think it's been shown that transit really stepped up during the pandemic and showed its worth and value. And and I think the federal policymakers caught wind of it. And that's why they realized that public transportation is not just a local responsibility. It's a national mandate that, that really we need federal involvement in, in a much bigger way on the operating dollars. And I think they've said that. Let's let's point to the future now in these last remaining minutes. Tell us what the recommendations are that you've come out with. Because I, as, I, as I mentioned, I think they're really strong and point the way for public transit to remain not only relevant, but um, even more than that, you know, crit- it shows our criticality to the community. Sure. So one of the biggest ones is to make public health a new focus area for transit. Uh, what we learned from vaccine access, from prescription drug access, uh, healthcare and access and so forth during the pandemic is this is a major focus area and can be a major focus area and growth area for transit. Uh, it's already happening and it can grow from here. And that's important because, you know, traditionally, so to speak, there's a, a lot of emphasis on talking about transit as a vehicle to jobs, as, you know, commuter. Right. Uh, serving a commuter function, uh, but transit does and can and can play an even greater role in healthcare access, and that really matters, especially for underserved communities. It matters, especially in moments of crisis. Um, and if it, and if transit can do so well as agencies did in the moment of crisis, just imagine what they can do in in times that aren't where they're not facing those same headwinds, and they're able to really look at their service, plan things out, build partnerships with with healthcare providers. That was another big one that I heard from agencies. Across the country, heard that from Laura Kaprowski at Tarda in Toledo. They're they're really deepening their partnerships with large hospitals, um, employers in the region. So that's a really important one. Um, Another one is when you look at fair payment, um, continuing to build equity and and into fair payment. And there's agencies are taking different approaches on this. Some are looking at at going to what's called zero fare or fare free. Um, Robbie Mackinnon talked a lot about that out in Kansas City, Um, and that's you know. uh, Brandon Policiccio in um, in Dayton, Greater Dayton RTA, they're moving from uh, to their TAP payment system, and they did something really really nice. Uh, as people got vaccinated, they offered an incentive: uh, you get 30, 30 days worth of, or uh, worth of free transit rides on your TAP card if you got your vaccination. And what's great about that is they did it's a twin benefit. There's the public health benefit of getting people vaccinated, and then there's the customer experience benefit of giving people the ability to use their new fare payment system, which is simpler and easier to use, um, and, and, and giving people an incentive to be on transit. And so more of that, I think we're going to see more of that happening. Um, and that's really critical. And then, you know, so one of the other really critical recommendations uh, is around federal support for transit um, and, and evolving and rethinking that in ways that are really, I think, 
persistent and sustainable uh, over the long term. And one of the things that we heard, um, I heard from agencies um, across the board is how valuable the support was from FTA and from USDOT, um, helping to get funds, uh, federal funding for operations, allocating that funding quickly. Uh, the FTA published a comprehensive FAQ that really answered A to Z uh, questions from transit agencies on how they could use the federal funding, what programs were eligible, what pandemic um, uh, programs and responses could be funded with federal funding. And that's really critical because that helped agencies move quickly. There was a strong desire among the agencies I talked to, to be able to adapt quickly, do things to serve their communities and be able to, to respond to requests locally, build partnerships and to have the backing at the federal level from FTA and, and DOT to do those things and to know that they had funds to do those things made all the difference in the world. And so, you know, going forward, I think there was a lot of there's a lot from that that I think can be translated into thinking about both the funding of agencies going forward, and we're certainly watching that closely with with all the the movement um, in Congress right now with with legislation, and also on the regulatory and, and rules side for agencies. There's there's lots of good stuff that happened during the pandemic that there's a I think an appetite among agencies to see that um, continue in ways that make sense going forward. Um, and then another really important recommendation is around hiring and career development. Uh, one of the big challenges that agencies have faced in recent years is competition, uh, whether it's from uh, industries that are pulling away drivers with, with commercial driver's licenses, CDLs to go into things like package delivery, um, or, or the attractiveness as it's been, as it, you know, somewhat of the gig economy. You know, it's easy to just jump in your car and go drive for one of the ride-hailing services. Uh, and I think the reality is that uh, for transit, it's a gateway. A job in transit is, has long been a gateway to the middle class for many Americans. Um, and, and I think there's a renewed focus on that, on bringing people in, uh, on, on making sure people know that transit is a great career. Uh, and it's, it's, it's an opportunity to have a, a full and beneficial career as opposed to something where you're kind of working bit by bit. Uh, and so there's a, there's a heavy focus on that hiring among agencies. And I think uh, one of the things uh, that I think so Ryan Brumfield at North Carolina DOT, when we talked, one of the things he brought up was the notion of having a national salary study to help transit agencies hire more competitively to really be able to be as competitive as possible in a tight, demanding, dynamic labor market. Um, so that's important too. And then, uh, and then another one, the fifth recommendation is around routes and service, um, redesigning routes, running more frequent service. Um, you know, to the point about essential workers and essential riders, Scott made a great point about this pandemic has shown us who our core riders are, who, who uses the service and needs the service the most. And now the opportunity is there for agencies, and some have already begun to do this, to look at realigning and redesigning service to make sure that core customers, those people, especially who never stopped riding during the pandemic, have the best possible service uh, so that they can get to school, to work, to shopping, and, and to you know family and friends and, and every, every one of their life needs in, and have transit be able to really support that in, in the most optimal ways possible. Um, had a really good conversation with Greg Jordan of the uh, Greater Portland Metro. Um, they've done some really interesting work um, with their agencies in the Greater Portland region. They've formed a partnership called Transit Together. Uh, and they built a map uh, to show everybody where you could go to get vaccines and how transit could get you there. And that's part of a larger cooperation collaboration project to make transit throughout the greater Portland region more seamless. They started to work on this before the pandemic and the pandemic really accelerated that work. 
Um, and that's a, that's happening in, in agencies and regions all around the country. Uh, and then that comes to uh, the, the last recommendation, which is around uh, demand response, expanding demand response services. This uh, appears to me to be a huge growth area for the industry right now. Yes, um, yes. Agencies are across the country are piloting, are testing, are rolling out demand responsive services that I think really this is this is a major opportunity, I think, to if you think about the argument of can transit provide coverage, you know, versus can they provide frequency? Um, if you're looking at everything through a fixed route lens, it, sometimes it feels like there's a dichotomy there. Uh, you, you can either run more routes in more areas with fewer lower frequency, or you can run fewer routes in, in higher frequency. What d- demand response really does is it creates an opportunity to do both, uh, to take the highest demand areas, the areas where you've got the most need for fixed route service, for frequent service, and run the most frequent service that meets customer needs and, and helps grow transit use and support um, you know, really good frequent mobility. And then to take demand response and put it in areas where there's emerging opportunity, emerging need for transit, but there isn't enough yet to um, support a fixed use, I mean, a fixed route, you know, bus service, um, and begin begin to build service in those areas. And what's great about demand response is it can do two things. It can stimulate service potentially to a point where you switch over and you run a fixed route service. But in areas where you might never have the demand for a fixed route service, on-demand gives you the ability to put transit in an area and give people a service that can have a really great customer experience and give them mobility and access and connections and, and allow them to access the, the larger network. And so I think we're going to see a lot more growth in that uh, uh, on-demand in the months and years to come. And I think that's going to become a really important focus area for um, studying how well this, this works for the industry, modeling out what agencies can do and how others can learn from that, and then looking at innovative funding models for it. Yeah, I agree with you 100%, Stuart. I think mobility on demand, microtransit, whatever you want to call it, is the growth area for us now. And it also, in this era of changing the routes to you know more frequent, like you were suggesting earlier, heavier use routes, some people may actually move routes off of some areas where there weren't, where there wasn't enough demand to continue that route, you know, there might have been demand pre-COVID, but there isn't now, et cetera. This makes sure we provide equity inclusion for everyone, that it's a safety net that no one gets left behind. Exactly. Exactly. It's a safety net. And it's also it's also um, valuable to people's quality of life. Um, okay. Out in, in eastern Oklahoma, I talked to Michael Lynn at Cherokee Nation Transit, and they're working together with their uh, partners. They've rolled out a new on-demand service that serves a number of rural counties in eastern Oklahoma. Um, and that it's fantastic to see that because you think about rural areas, transit might not be the first thing you think about in a rural area. Uh, and for folks to have that kind of service rolling out, I'm really excited to see what that does and how that benefits people's people's lives. Scott, were you going to say something? Well, yeah, I, what I was going to say, you know, Paul, is one of the things that I think that Stuart captured really well was we learned during the pandemic about essential service, right? And, yeah. And who really needed our services, whether it was going to work, going to provide essential services, uh, uh, and, 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 and who had no other way, frankly, to get around their communities and needed to continue to use public transit to get to a healthcare appointment and these kinds of things. It was great to be able to weave that essentialness that we learned together with new and improved services. Because and, and, and Stuart, you know, connected those things under the equity umbrella. And it's exactly right. Right now, we've learned a lot about who needs our services most. And, and we're all trying to address the equity lens. And it's right in front of us. 
We yeah. know exactly yeah. who those folks are. We've served them for the last 18 months in very tough circumstances. As we improve fare payment mechanisms and on-demand services and, and battery electric buses, we're recommending all that goes into the essential and the equity piece. And it works really well like that, Paul. Yeah. Well, this is a great study. People can get it at the CTAA website, or you could just Google CTAA and the study. It pop, it pop right up for me, Stuart. Great work on the study. Uh, Scott, thank you so much for being here with us today. I look forward to being with you. As people are listening to this episode, we'll be in Missoula, Montana for the Small Urban Network Conference. and We'll be doing some interviews there as well. Stuart, thanks again for being with us. Thanks, Paul. Thank you for listening to this week's Transit Unplugged News and Views. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you to our guests, John Sieber, Stuart Meter, and Scott Bogren for their fantastic interviews. Now, coming up in future episodes, as Paul mentioned, we'll be coming from the Sun Conference, where Paul is at this moment recording some great interviews with transit leaders from across North America. If you're enjoying listening to Transit Unplugged, it would mean a lot to us if you leave a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. This helps other people find Transit Unplugged, and it lets us know how we're doing. So, until next week, ride safe and ride happy.